Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Club. We're in Season 2. This is Episode 13. It's great to have your company once again. Beyond the Club is here to help make Australian sports clubs places we can be proud of. I'm Ben Hook. My co-host is Sam Elliott. He is Flinders University's award-winning Associate Professor in Sport Health, Physical Activity. Looking forward to today's episode, Sam. Tell us about who we're going to be catching up with. Professor Richard Keegan. He's visiting from the University of Canberra. I've known Richard for a long time. A great supporter of my work, and I'm a great admirer of his work. Can't wait to talk about the topic of a motivational climate. Yeah, and I think it is an interesting topic. In particular, I mean, I look at it from the basis of Australian rules football, if you like, and you hear about coaches who are great motivators. And I'd love to know what the definition of a great motivator is. I'd love to know what makes... People tick with regard to their own motivation and how they're motivated and what demotivates them as well. I think that'll be a really interesting topic. Before we get to it, can I just throw a club of the day at you? Have you got one today? I don't know if there is an award in South Australian sport for the club that has recovered most incredibly from a devastating bushfire three years ago. But if there is, Western Districts on Kangaroo Island deserves to win it hands down. You can remember the bushfires of 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely devastating the football club Western Districts. Uh, that season was wiped out anyway because of COVID. I don't think Western Districts would have been able to play a season of football after those fires in January 2020. They have done the most incredible job in rebuilding. They played in a grand final in 2021. They won the flag last year. This year, they're top and comfortably top of the A grade. They're sitting second in the B grade, and they are top of the junior Colts or the under-15s as well. They've built a brand-new club rooms. Obviously, they've had some wonderful government support along the way, but that is an incredible community who has done amazing things to turn around what was so devastating that that might have blown them off the planet. And here they are, absolutely top of the pops down there on KI. It's a great choice. I have a lot of time for the people in Kangaroo Island. I did a lot of my PhD research with people in that remote region. And what a fantastic story for the Western Districts Football, Netball Club, whoever's involved in that space. Fantastic. Right, let's get into it. Professor Richard Keegan joins us next. Professor Richard Keegan, welcome to Beyond the Club. Thanks for having me here. Richard, let's just go right to the basics first of all. What is motivation? What is a motivational coach? What do they do as distinct from any other coach? I mean, I hear this in the AFL all the time. He's a great motivator. What does that mean? He's bad at tactics. What is a motivational coach? Yep. Starting with what is motivation, the simple answer is usually why we do the things that we do. So sometimes we try and shortcut to, you know, that person looks motivated because they're energized or full of energy, but you can be deeply motivated sat completely still and motionless working on the stuff that me and Sam do a lot, right? So you then go, okay, well, the behavior isn't a great giveaway. So let's go for the regulation behind that. And you start saying, well, there's a why. This person's motivated for good reasons versus unhappy reasons, lots of good reasons versus too few bad reasons. And that starts to get us understanding it better. And what you tend to see is that the good stuff bubbles up from inside. I love this. I connect to this. I would do this without being paid if I could. Right versus uh, I have to do this for a trophy to get paid to avoid punishment and that's normally the other end which we use a lot we reach for a lot but it tends to be unsustainable and less of a good experience second part of the question when you see a good coaching or a good climate happening in sport what you're getting is well the climate itself is just all the things around the person that affects that motivation yes and of course we you know we interact with people all the time furiously that's how we live as humans so to be honest It's any parts of that interaction which are making us 
motivated, affecting the way that we're being like, this is coming from me versus I'm feeling manipulated here. I'm getting to prove myself versus I'm being tested. Those types of experiences are coming from around us, mm. whether it be the way the game's defined or the way that we're being coached. That's the climate. And then you can start to optimize it to say, okay, if I could get these people to connect to what they love and thrive off and they feel good about improving and they feel a sense of control, those things tend to lead us to the happier, sustainable, more productive forms of motivation. If I'm constantly coming in with my carrot or my stick, actually, and people are feeling manipulated, we can... We can get stuff to happen, we can get stuff done, but it tends to be less sustainable and less of a good experience. Richard, you've brought up the word climate, motivational climate. I love it. But we live in, if we talk about climate from a weather perspective, middle of winter, middle of summer, two very, very different climates, if you like. Is it incumbent upon a coach to try and create a stable climate, like 24 degrees and sunny Beautiful question. Beautiful question. I think it changes over the course of a season. You know, there'll be times where you say, look, we're going to have some fun. We're going to get these skills in place and it doesn't really matter. There's no pressure. And there are a hundred percent times in a season where you go, no, this has to get done. And we're going to do it, whether it's the hard way or the easy way, this has to get done. And so you kind of, uh, to skip ahead in the conversation, you kind of want coaches who can do the whole gamut. And most of us look at what's happening at the pointy end and see the, the hard coaching that needs to happen at big games and go, well, that must be the secret. But of course, at the other end, there's keeping people in the system, getting them to have a good time, getting them through a hard pre-season where you might want to have a much nicer experience. And actually that might earn you the right to come back later and go, no, 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 no. I reckon we see a lot of that hooky in any tier of sport and an observer might look at one subset of an entire season. They might look at one moment of coach interaction with the team. And especially if they go on to have success, right, that they suddenly feel that this is the recipe yeah. for good coaching. Yeah. And I think there's a danger there because when do you get the, the greatest access to coaches? Well, I'm thinking of AFL as an example. Tuesday grand final day, so the two best teams. Yes. There's unfettered access before the game. Mm. There's interviews. There's there's coaches interacting. You get sort of the, the bird's eye view of what's happening inside the coach's box. And I think that that type of, I guess, access can create a perception that that is the way to coach. That is the way to get success. But what you're saying, Richard, is that – you need 24 degrees, but yeah. you might need 28 degrees. You might need 15 degrees of, if you like, a motivational condition or climate around the players. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an extraordinarily biased sample if we extrapolate from elite sport. And of course, there are no cameras in those underage changes or around those fields and stuff, right? There couldn't be. But this, what success would look like and what a good motivational climate would look like in those contexts is probably going to be very different. Do we ha- have differences between a motivational client? And I guess we've started this conversation by referring to elite sport. Mm. And uh, I mean, in my mind, I had a motivational coach, a motivational climate in AFL football, which uh, clearly Professor Richard Keegan, you're not <laughs> 100% familiar with because of, uh, I can tell by the twang in your voice. Yep. But do we have differences between what a mo- motivational client is at elite sport and what it is at youth and junior and community sport, which is generally what we focus on here at Beyond the Club. Yeah, so I think if you're doing those studies, you're going to see different flavours of climates. We might get into how we try and study this because we tend to only take little snapshots and not look at the changes over the course of time. But generally in elite sport, you get people who are more tolerant, actually, of being pushed, being you know given punishments, rewards, even just as simple as selection or time on the field. Like That's clearly in play. 
and they've they've come to view it as just part of the game. I've chosen to be here. This is what it's like. At the other end of it, though, you've got people who they've got twenty other sports they could play, or they've got a really good, you know, Sony PlayStation or something. It's <laughs> really calling out to them. So you're actually competing against that, and your aims of what you're trying to achieve are quite different. I want to keep these kids in the sport as long as possible. My understanding of how talent happens is that you get them to about seventeen, eighteen, still playing sport, and then suddenly some bolters come through, and you know, a, a lot of people who weren't thought of as good at that point suddenly come good. Keeping them in the game is is probably the target, and that's a very different to win that trophy. Yeah, interesting. Just a point on that. Not I'll just refer to a young. This is still a girl. She's seventeen, who is now one of the best golfers in South Australia. She's in the South Australian team, and I spoke to her only last week. As a thirteen-year-old, she sort of got into golf, and her motivation had nothing to do with golf. It's because her friends would go to the clinics, and so. She solely went to the clinics because she, as used her word, hang. She could hang with her friends. Do we lose track as youth coaches about what motivates kids? We think it is all about linear improvement. We have a victory. We sing the song. When often for kids, it's very, very different. So different. So different. I mean, coming back to you know the core things that seem to trigger that feeling of internal motivation bubbling up from within, we adore feeling competent like we're improving or gaining skills and getting good at stuff we adore feeling like we have some sense of control like we're not just being told what to do we actually can influence a game we can influence decisions that kind of thing and then crucially we adore feeling connected and part of a club and part of a team and valued for that and there are some great instances of like motivational speeches that you can youtube my favorite's always the inches speech from any given sunday right and those three things it's like he's just got those three buttons and just keeps pressing them in different combinations and it's like that's it like that's that if we're doing those things and making it feel possible to feel those feelings the chances are we're being very motivational. I love that, Hooky. There's probably some advice there for coaches. You can be an under-14 coach, and instead of rah, 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 hopefully your voice and, and hitting the right pitch at the right moment will you know, provoke some kind of emotional response, it, it, which is very short. You know, it's, it's quite fleeting, isn't it? Because then they run out in the oval, and someone slips over, and they're laughing, and then yeah. their, their attention moves around. And you're building up capital. You know, If people have, have been around you for a long time, and they're going, they've got my best interests at heart, I trust this person implicitly. They've always looked after me and they've always kept me you know, safe and explained their decisions to me, even if it wasn't what I would have done. I got to find out the rationale. Even that, when it comes to crunch time, you've gained the capacity to say, yeah, yeah, yeah we have to do it this way and you're not going to like it. And the per- person might say, well, I trust you, as yeah. opposed to you've never had my back, I'm out. Yeah. Could we maybe just, for the first time ever on Beyond the Club, we have the Bedford Park Bullfrogs. That's our, our <laughs> club here that Hooky and I are Beautiful. the head of. Could we maybe just workshop some polar opposite examples of a motivational We're club? not the head of it. We are absolutely <laughs> the worker bees. We, we have no responsibility whatsoever, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. Well, be that as it may, let's look at two polarising examples. I'm thinking of something like Michael Jordan, The Last Dance documentary on Netflix, and the, his, his involvement in creating a motivational climate, these, rel- these unrelenting standards mm-hmm. versus Auskick, come and try under sevens. And if we could work from wow, both yep. these polar opposites and maybe work our way through, not to a middle ground, but just some of the risks and some of the things that we need to be aware of when you're... Yeah, because the point is they're both valid 
and they happen and they're part of this sort of wide range of possibilities. And so you go, well, why has each of these happened? And what are the pros and cons of each? And why would I, for example, bring this one across to the kids in this case? But yeah. Yeah. So let's maybe look at that. So what, for example, if we were to adopt a a mastery focused approach, it's all about improvement. It's about enjoyment. It's Mm -hmm. about connection. And if you were to maintain that over an athlete's career, what are the risks of really not changing the condition? So the risk I can think of off the bat would be that you just don't prepare people for their really high pressure moments. Now it's completely possible to kind of define that as part of what the mastery is you're pursuing and start to explicitly say, we're going to go and pursue these high pressure moments to prepare you for a couple of years time when a year will be at your peak. But if you only focus on fun and enjoyment, and this is a common criticism, right? Then we're not preparing people. We're not, you know, to use the phrase toughening them up or whatever. But I think it's possible to pursue that in a way where there's still trust, there's still choice. People feel like they're doing it with eyes wide open, not because they've been thrown in the deep end. Um, And you can define that as one of the skills you're building, not just the physical skills of the sport. So it's possible. I think that's really important, Hookie, because when there's an incident of a parent running onto the field, you know, with an umpire or a child, (laughs) do you know what you see on social media? Everyone is a commentator and everyone says, for goodness sake, it's about having fun at this age. And yet there is a balancing act in this conversation. We're not saying that it's right or you know, mm, um, mm. appropriate to be running onto a field. But I think in these moments, we have very instinctive responses to say, surely it's about fun. And what you're saying is that, well, fun is part of the climate, but it's not the only ingredient to Yeah, and climate. it gets more pointy the closer you get to the elite level. And I think it's, I'm the kind of person uh, who will always stop and pause and discuss stuff. And not everyone's like that. But for me, it's, if we can sit down with a team, and I've had these conversations where you go, how hard do we go this year? Are we going to try and be at the elite or are we actually developing ourselves this year? And it's the same squad, but they've got a few new players and they realise that they're not contenders, for example. And they'll sit and say, we're going to go hard. We're going to do all the stuff that, you know, based around that. We're going to have rules around being here on time or you're late, all that sort of stuff. And that's discussed and agreed. And of course, the other side of that is that as a coach, sometimes we feel like we ought to be in control and dictating that stuff. But actually, each time I've opened that just conversation up, even with like the classic post-it notes on the wall type thing, the athletes end up picking a better formula than I would have done. Or the coaches, they'd sometimes go more stringent. I've seen a team really pick strict rules for themselves. And if the coaches had said, we're doing it this way, there'd have been uproar. Yeah, it is. It's interesting, isn't it? We're talking about creating a motivational climate. We're doing it with Professor Richard Keegan, who has joined us on Beyond the Club. We're going to take a short break. Here is a message from the Sammy D Foundation. Hi, it's Rachel here from the Sammy D Foundation, South Australia's leading violence prevention charity. We've seen over 30,000 people participate in our programs in the past 12 months. Our programs educate and empower young people on the impacts of bullying, violence and alcohol and other drug misuse by delivering engaging and adaptive and effective evidence-based education. For further information, please visit sammyd.org.au. Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Club. We're with Professor Richard Keegan. He is over in Adelaide from the University of Canberra, where he is a resident academic. I think that would be a reasonable description. Originally from Reading, can we just clear, I don't know how long you've been here for, Ashes, satisfied with that result or dissatisfied? Yeah, I've been here 10 years and I can live with that. <laughs> Lionesses on the weekend? They played better against the Matildas and probably deserved the win. And then the final, the same thing happened to them, I think. Fair enough. Okay. So if it was Australia versus England in the Ashes, you're one of us. 
I am, yeah. I've got my blue passport. I'm good. We're embracing you all the time <laughs> here. Richard, I want to talk about a motivational climate and how you create one. So I think we were just sort of discussing off air before that I come from a bit of an old school of coaching where the way I would create a motivational client is I would tell you what's <laughs> good for you, whether you like it or not. And that was my way of motivation, if you like, yep. and maybe a little bit of fire and brimstone as well <laughs> thrown into it. But how in the modern era, and in particular, if we're talking about young up and coming athletes, what are some of the you know the, the must haves with regard to creating that motivational client, the absolute basics for it? Yep. Okay. So I'm going to come in with a, a broad sort of principles first and Love then it. go down to basics. So generally speaking, the whole history of this, we've looked at either creating something really competitive and like, you know, what only matters is winning and yep. that determines success or a focus on improvement, skills, mastery. That has been the history. Where winning and losing is almost irrelevant. Yeah, and you can see both of them emphasised together, right? Because people are complex and there's lots going on. But if we came to measure it, we looked at, do you feel like you're being pushed to compete and win and not lose? Or do you feel like you're being just taught skills and improved as a person? As a, and so that was the history. And then more recently, we've started saying, all right, mm, there's more we can do here. Do you feel the stuff I was talking about earlier, connected to other people, part of a group, valued, enriched? Do you feel like you have some sense of control in what's going on and you're not just being exploited? And do you feel that you've got skills and improvement happening and in, and in combinations of those things as well? So that's the broad sort of, what's that, five labels, hyper-competitive, developmental, and then either skills-based, autonomy, control-based, and relationships-based. They're the sort of broad level stuff. Okay. And then what I mistakenly, in a way, asked in my PhD was, what behaviours can a coach exhibit, or parents or peers, that play into those that get good outcomes? And I would get these brilliant conversations with like eight-year-old kids in a group. That probably was life-changing, actually, because one kid would say, you know, I love it. Well, I'll switch it around for the truth of what happened. I hate it when my coach is hypercritical and focused on mistakes and corrects everything that I do. Right. This little girl said that, and then the kid next to her said, oh, I love it, because it shows that he cares. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? And so I actually think what you're doing, if you're really navigating this well, is working out what each person is trying to get at each point in time, and you're navigating, I, I use the metaphor for navigating at sea. You're, you don't really know what's going on, but you can get a read on the, the stars and the compass, and you can start to get a steer of, okay, the wind's blowing this way today. I view it more like that, live dynamic navigation towards making people feel like they're progressing, like they have some control. That's more how I think about it now. And you do see the same behaviour that feels like a golden rule or a principle in one moment suddenly fall flat yeah, a few months later. We need the Bedford Park Bullfrog Sailing Club, I think, <laughs> Sam, to try and embrace this motivational climate. We are expanding, so if any sailing <laughs> enthusiasts are out there, let us know. But, but um, interesting. The thing is, that's real life. We do it all the time. We navigate complexity all the time. And yeah. it's just a matter of saying, I don't need to look for a golden rule or a silver bullet. I just need to be comfortable going, all right, this is complex and I've got some principles. Let's go. The analogy is excellent, though, because there is some instinct to sailing and picking the yeah. way we're talking competitive sailing here. But at the same time, you are relying on instruments to guide you. So as you talked about, a compass or a GPS or a radar to try and avoid what you're going to yeah. run into. But at the same time, you need to have some confidence that you are heading in the right direction regardless of what the instruments are telling you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Richard, I, I hear that and think our listeners might be saying, we agree, it is complex. Yes. But at this time of the year, what is it? It's August. It's yeah, late August. September, yeah. So yeah. we're getting into, for those that are football enthusiasts, yep. the, the peak of the season. 
And I think it's a hard sell for them to say, we get what you're saying, but if you think that we are going to promote a fun, balanced, if you like, perspective and commitment to improvement and outcome, that's something that we could absolutely agree with. But then in actuality, on mm. the weekend, I think what is likely to happen is that there will be a little bit of play to win. There will be a little bit of sheep stations outcome yeah, focused yeah, yeah. approach. And that parents' behaviours, the siblings' behaviours, the the preparation towards our final this weekend will be very different from what we saw middle of the year three months ago. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? How do we take this wisdom and this advice, which I think is very well grounded, into actuality? And this is the gap between academia and, and reality, right? Like academia gives us like, thou shalt not do this. It always tends to end badly. People don't like it. But actually reality says there's some place for this. And I borrow from actually Chris Lonsdale, who's now at ACU. And he would talk about the minimum viable sort of product, the minimum impact I'm prepared to have that I can walk away and say I'm happy with. And I think if we're... There's two ends of what the progress we're making. We can either strip out a couple of the things that are harmful, or we can add in a couple of things that are helpful. And if there's, over the course of a long game, a few less incidents of people running on, shouting too hard, being too angry about a result, and if we can be that that person, that's progress. Or we can start introducing some things that throw in fun or emphasise it or bring it back into the equation, throw in connection and friendship and make sure that, you know, we're care more about being here next season than getting the trophy this season it's just incremental small changes steering this this ship and it's a whole system of youth sport and i think if we strip out a couple of the things that cause unpleasantness and pressure we can gradually get there i love that hooky i always had this dream that in youth sport i'd love for there to be in a grand final someone on the microphone or someone of substance we get we get Big names in to talk about their mental health stories in sport, don't we? Yes. Because it resonates. Mm. I'd love to get the big name, retired AFL you know, star to come in and open a game of junior footy and say, yes, we want you to play to win today. It's a final. But we also want you to wake up tomorrow and still be in love with the game, want to play next year for the parents. Heaven. This is just one day of their <laughs> development. You're not going to love them any less if they lose today. So yeah. just with that backdrop in mind, go for it, guys. And I feel like it can temper the motivational climate that otherwise exists. Because the winning is like, it's it's what's driving us to be good. And it's what's driving us to form these great friendships and bonds. So like, it's not actually the be all and end all. It's, it's just one of the flashing lights at the end of this dashboard of stuff. And you could, the people who I see stay in the game and actually end up at the top pay just as much attention to all the other stuff. And I actually, I'm going to tell on myself now because I once watched, it was upon, uh, <laughs> Dame, Dame Kelly Holmes used to finish fourth a lot. Right. And, of course, in the end of the story, she won all these golds and became a Dame. But she was being interviewed and she'd finished fourth again and, she, and the commentator was pushing her on it. And she said, well, I came fourth. There were three faster girls than me here today. Yeah. But I ran a really good time for me personally. I ran the tactics I was trying to run. I felt good while I was doing it, so I'm actually happy. And I think that's the equation that means you do stay around long enough to get your shot. Yeah. yeah. I'll I tell you what I want to touch on, and we probably have strayed into this area, got into dangerous waters <laughs> if I continue the sailing reference. But we've talked about trying to create an environment for a good motivational climate. Yep. What are some of the – and I'd be listening to this going, yeah, this is all great, but – I'm also concerned about what are the pitfalls? What do I want to avoid? Where mm. are the the reefs underground that yep. I want to make sure that I steer my vessel away from? Are there particular areas of a motivational climate that we should be looking out for and trying to avoid? Yep. 
Okay, there is an element of this where it depends what stage of the season we're at and if we're being too fun-focused when at the pointy end, that's not going to work. But the rule of thumb that clearly keeps coming up in terms of kicking people out of sport by accident, passively, is to define it only counts you're only valid if you're winning and then have a situation where a tiny fraction of people get to be the best. And if that's how we're being made to feel repeatedly over the course of time, all the people who didn't get to win and have been reinforced, that's bad, you should feel bad about this, want to leave. Okay. Yeah. So you see this hooky, I think, sometimes in sporting programs where you might have a big list of 25 players and your attention might be focused on the top echelon of those players. Well, three or four. So they feel good, I would assume, Richard. But what about the 25th player on that list who gets some attention, but not the same amount of attention? Yeah. Some care, but not the same amount of care. Some feedback, but relative mm. to the top three or four, differential treatment. So is this an example where you might want to try and avoid that if you're trying to keep a team together? And Yeah, like the best odds you're going to get of winning is 50-50 in a one-on-one. <laughs> be it teams or individuals that's the best most of the time you're getting way worse odds than that and if you only get to feel good when you've won that's not great i wouldn't bet on that personally for my kids happiness for example that's too risky to bet on that those odds so you go okay well what other counts as a win yes the improvement yes the experience yes we had a great day out you can redefine what counts as a win and suddenly everyone's loving it so we have really narrow definitions of how we of success. About, of, yeah. of success and winning. And and I think that's a, that's a big conversation. So we should definitely follow up on hooky because <laughs> I think there's a lot there. But I think so what you're saying is if, if there could be a skill here for coaches, for clubs to broaden their understanding and then their actioning of what success looks like. Absolutely. And the other side of that is that when we're motivated to win and to look good and we've got a chance, that feels great. The other side of that is that we're trying not to lose. And how many games have we seen where a team is trying not to lose and they start playing completely differently and it goes to pieces? It, that's a real thing where people are just being protective, trying to maintain, trying not to look bad, not to be the one that makes a mistake. It's not a nice place to live. And it's a it's a be a long discussion on how you define success for Sam Elliott, the star, as distinct from Ben Hook, the banger. You know what I mean? <laughs> you could actually... Spend a bit of time as a coach defining what's your le- what's what's your success, what's my success. Yours might be best on ground every week. Mine might be a particular role that I'm instructed mm. to play, and if I can follow that through, that's success. So I think there's a real art there, Richard, with coaches in particular. I mean, they are at the heart of this whole sport experience. They're there Monday to Sunday, typically training, yep. that kind of thing. So hooking that example, if you are the banger, if you are the player that's really just your buckle your, wheel. Your yeah. definitions of success look different to, to someone else's, right? Is it incumbent on the coach to really recognise that early, to understand the different ways in which you can reinforce, hey, Ben, like the fact that you got on the path this week and trained two nights and did it really well, step in the right direction. I mean, sometimes competence isn't obvious to the participant, yep. Yep. right? Is that incumbent on the coach to really make that obvious? Well, ideally, it has to be the experience of the person we're talking about. A coach can be hugely influential in that. They're probably the best opportunity you're going to get. But you could embed that same support and advice in the parents, in the teammates, in the flatmates they go back to. Um, Ultimately, you want that person to be saying, I see it this way and I'm actually comfortable with that. But your coach is going to be a heck of a good opportunity. And I feel a little pang of guilt straight away because that's a lot of work for some coaches who are already busy. So you go, okay, well, how much of that can I actually add to my role against having a family, having a job? Incremental improvements. 
Yeah, absolutely. Ben Hook, Sam Elliott and Professor Richard Keegan all with you on Beyond the Club. We're heading towards our Fast Four takeaways. In the meantime, here's a short message from the Alcohol and Drug Foundation's Good Sports Program. Hi, it's Isra here from Good Sports. We are Australia's largest community sport health program, helping over 10,000 clubs nationally to create safe, inclusive and family-friendly environments. Good clubs have a funding pipeline. Good Sports gives you tips and resources and inspiration from other successful clubs to help you explore new funding opportunities. Clubs with a positive community profile also jump to the front when it comes to securing local sponsorships. Good Sports is free for all community sports clubs. To learn more, head to goodsports.com.au. Final term here at Beyond the Club, we're with Professor Richard Keegan, the academic from the University of Canberra, Ben Hook and Sam Elliott with you as always. Richard, what we like to do with the wrap-up of every episode here at Beyond the mm-hmm. Club is is provide f- four obvious little snackable, bite-sized takeaways that we can hand over to the listener and say, this is what you can practically apply, whether you're a parent, a coach, or a peer yep. in your everyday life when you're working with your young athlete, your community athlete, your elite athlete. We just spent that little break working through what the basics of our four points are. I'm going to throw these little catchphrases at you, yep. and then I'd like you to expand on them for our audience. Number one, push buttons. Yep. So we hit upon that in the episode. We were talking about the idea of people want to feel competent and like they're improving and they're already good. They want to feel that they've got some choice in these things and they want to feel that they're connected and part of something and and valued as a human. And so those are our kind of three buttons. And that's what we're kind of reaching for each time we're trying to build up motivation. You know, we're trying to get that feeling of this person's likely inner motivation is going to come from feeling good, feeling connected, feeling in control. Now, the thing is, this is actually a symphony. It's not just a hit once and done. You know, the, the way this um, is, is comes at us from the old theory is that it's more like a need for food than a need for kind of, that's it, I've got it, I've moved on. So we're constantly feeding from those three buttons, basically. And if you're a coach or a parent or even someone's teammate, you're going every day, how can I make them feel those things and any combination of those things? So what are the three buttons again? I want to feel competent. Competent. In control or autonomous. In control or autonomous. And related, connected. Related or connected. So they are the three buttons, and it's a little bit like, you know, whack-a-mole. Once you can see that we need to provide a bit more of this, that's what we hit. Right. When you see examples of, of you, know, you can basically just try YouTubing what's a good motivational speech or a motivational moment, you should be able to see those things coming through, normally with a bit of extra source from passion. I can't wait to review the game on the weekend. And then as we go to our hooky, we're in the finals. Um, as we get to our final, I can't wait to just observe how the speeches pre-game might be coded. Is there a bit of autonomy building there? Is there a bit of competence reminder yeah. and in the, the speech? The and diagnostic can be that sometimes if, it, if things are falling flat, that can be where you failed. I didn't find a way of letting that person feel skillful. I didn't find a way of letting that person have choices. And so that's another way of, of treating that approach. Yeah, brilliant. I'll tell you what we are going to be doing too is just winding in a little bit of inches from any given Sunday <laughs> and that speech from the movie way back in 1999. I want to ask you about Navigate at Sea. It's a yep. point that we almost stumbled across in the last 20, mm. twi- 25 minutes, but... What are we referring to when we say navigate at sea? Yeah, so for me that reflected the difference between having a magic formula, which you just follow, versus needing to sort of know where you are, read the room, and react to that. And so 
Um, it's a little bit of extra sort of mental work, but you're going, right, what am I trying to achieve here? Where are we at right now? Acceptance wise, that is where we're at right now. How do we start to move back to where I want to be? And there's going to be days where that is effortless and days where I'm just struggling to make progress. But the mental model goes from there is a magic formula that I just simply apply to I need to have a good sense and read on what's happening around me and react to that. I love that hooky because it might help balance the level with which fun and a focus on success and development exists. Mm. And I think that that's really important. I have a really strong memory of being at Elite Football Academy where this player was contrasting his local club to being at the academy. And he was saying, well, the thing is, if I go into the final third at my club on a weekend, I'm expected to shoot and I have a good chance of scoring. And that's how we win every game. Here, I would be crucified for that because the coach is trying to work on a particular skill and a particular system. He doesn't care if we lose 7-0 as long as we try and do the system. Right. Completely different yeah. focus and the same lad in these two contexts. And he obviously appreciated the skill because the coach is investing in him for five years' time, not for now. Yeah. Such a good example. If you're a parent out there and your child is maybe traversing local sport into a pathway program and you might be spending season in, in two different areas that might also need to develop those skills to navigate at sea. And the other side of that, which lands really well for parents, especially if you've got more than one kid, you don't end up treating everybody the same. It feels equitable to treat everybody the same. But if you've got two kids and one is first out of bed and going in the morning and one takes a little bit of, you know, nurturing, that's okay. You just treat them differently. The kids are different. And what you end up doing is each moment is different and I shouldn't expect to be the same all the time. If I can look back and say I did this for these reasons in that moment, even if it didn't work, okay, I know why it didn't work. I'll be different in future. But the expectation to be the same all the time can really trip us up. That's so important. I'm just thinking of my own children and how I yeah. treated them this morning, hooky. So a good reminder. <laughs> but but even you know, and we if we're, we're using that analogy of navigate at sea, and we're talking. Let's just imagine that we've got a five meter speedboat, a twenty meter fishing vessel, and a two hundred meter ship, and you want to get them all into the same port. Well, you can get them all into the same port, no problem with that. But you've probably got to go in three different directions. Mm. The speedboat <laughs> can go along the coast. The twenty meter vessel needs a couple of meters of water, and the ship needs to be in the shipping lane where there's a dredged out ten, fifteen meters. So, I think that's a really good point to make that you've got all of these different athletes. You can get them all into the same port, but you've got to be prepared to provide them with the right navigation, yep. the right pathway, in order to be able to achieve that. End goal. And it simplifies really quickly normally. There's thousands of options at any moment, but normally you come down to what are my key indicators of it's going well or not? Yeah. And what are my levers for making that happen? And, you know, it comes really simple, really quick, as long as you're prepared to adjust to that moment. What a good sale looks like, you know, what good progress looks like. Just keep redefining that. You'll be good. Love it. Play the long game. Professor Richard, what does play the long game refer to from our fast forward perspective? Especially in a youth context, we're talking about keeping people in the game for as long as possible. What's going to keep them coming back next week, yeah. next season? What's going to get them to the point where they're potentially getting a shot at the age of 17? And even what keeps them in the game well after that, so they're still enjoying it and loving it for the rest of their life. When you factor that into the equation, you find that your whole calculation changes and suddenly the value of that trophy at the end of the season isn't, isn't as important. So I think we end up redefining success and saying, actually, I've got a group of people here who love each other, who seem to work really well together. Let's just, that's valuable. Let's not break that for the sake of one game, you know. I think playing the long game really redefines how you approach this. 
That's a hard lesson, I think, for families listening this weekend because they're thinking, we need to win this final. <laughs> My child is probably never going to have a chance to win a, a grand final, whatever it might be. So I think it's a really good message to just take stock that if they're going to continue playing sport, that this is one but just but one piece of their entire journey. I think mm. it's really, really good. Reminder. We've all been there too, haven't we, where we've played a junior sport event that we thought was the be-all and end-all, and then 5, 10, 15 years on, the realisation hits us. It's not it's not up for debate. The realisation hits us. That was absolutely meaningless. That was of no importance whatsoever, and it's the friendship and the relationship that you develop and the skill set that you develop that will be far more sustainable, far more nourishing. Couldn't say it better myself. I'd love to see clubs adopt that in their vision statements or in their, their strategies, that we are part of building a long game rather than... We exist to win premierships this year. The amazing thing is clubs that do that and coaches that do that um, often end up being very successful. And there's a, a study from America where it's very American word. They looked for the winningest teams. <laughs> I would never use that word in any other context. And they said, what are they doing that makes them the winningest, the best, the most frequently winning teams? And they were the ones who valued the long term, the relationships, the connections. They had coaches who would go and scoop guys off the street to keep them getting into bad groups and crime and stuff. It was about the people and the connections. And by coincidence, you'll never guess, they won a lot. Yeah. Fancy that. Love it. Wyness. I'm a big rap. and We had this discussion off air. I love made up words. Wyness, I think, is a made up word. But I think it's a really important word in this context as well. Just define whyness for Ult- us. Ultimately, with motivation, we're coming down to people's why. And it can be so diverse and each person's unique, of course. But what underpins good motivation is going to be their their why. And so that's what I'm looking for with each individual. What are they trying to achieve by being here at all in this weekend's game? Perhaps even looking ahead, you know, where are they trying to get to in life? What? And sometimes they can't tell you. You can say, hey, you know, what would be a good thing for you to achieve? But you need to get down somehow to what is it that is their why? Let me either try and create something for them or or deliver on what they actually want. And they're two questions we don't normally ask. You know, what can I do to help you understand why? How can I help you on your current why? Normally we're dictating, here's what I think your why is, go do it. And that's where we're missing. Do you have a why, Hooky? No, well, I think it's, and I was talking about this young girl before, at 13 years of age, she's not the best golfer in South Australia, but she's in the top five. She's now 17. At 13 years of age, she did not give a care whether she was any good or not. She went to junior clinics because they were just down the road and she wanted to hang with all of her friends. And that was the why, to be able to spend time with her friends. So if you can create that environment for her... She sort of then worked out the rest of it. Suddenly she worked out she was pretty good at it and wanted to devote more time to it on her own. But that was the original motivation. Yeah. And connecting a couple of points there around navigation and whyness, often we discover the whyness by doing stuff. You go into this space, you're not sure why you're there, and you realise, oh, I've made some good friends. Oh, actually, I quite enjoyed doing that thing that I didn't know I could do. Yeah. So it's not something you're born knowing, but you just sort of go out there, try the error, and in the end you can discover really strong, really lasting whyness. But again, don't sort of walk in and say, well, I expect you all to know. You Just be prepared to try the narrow through it. I love that. And it's probably a really timely word phrase for our listeners. I think Simon Sinek, the, the unshakable optimist, talks about why. And Jordan Peterson, well-established academic, talks about meaning, purpose, responsibility as characteristics of why. So I think our listeners would be really appreciative of your description of that. And especially in sport, I think it's a really good takeaway. Professor Richard Keegan, thank you so much. That's been a wonderful, wonderful chat. Really appreciate your time on Beyond the Club. I love being here. Thanks for having me.
So that's a wrap on Season 2, Episode 13 of Beyond the Club. You can access the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes or by heading to our webpage, flinders.edu.au forward slash shape. I'm Sam Elliott on Twitter. I'm Ben Hook one on Twitter. And, of course, the podcast Beyond the Club is on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. You name it, you can find us. Big thank you to our entire crew in the Flinders Good Vibe Factory, in particular our producer, Dan Coston. I'd like to also recognise Benny Watson, who does our music, and our artwork has been completed by Alicia Menzel. Season 2, Episode 13, In the Can. Thank you to Professor Richard Keegan for his company, and thank you for your company too. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Club.